This week on Plot Points Podcast, everyone is home for the holidays. We discuss the life and legacy of Billy Wilder, and we get in a fight about Tim Allen. This is Plot Points Podcast. podcast this is mark sevy we are at full strength today we have the ogs back um which is great because i missed you guys tremendously merry christmas to you guys this is our christmas podcast um although uh i don't know how much christmasy it's going to be but toby is back uh mary claire's back from uh honeymooning and uh all her various travels i'm back i'm back um so your honeymoon was great you uh enjoyed it was uh, fantastic like, we were gone for 15 days we did fiji new zealand and tahiti so we were circling the south pacific uh in its entirety but it was it was great yeah. now i'm here so um I thought we would talk a little bit about um, some some of the what are we watching. I want to talk about self-aware scripts, but I'm going to put it toward the end in case we don't we run out of time. Um, but uh, self-aware scripts being defined as scripts where the writer is talking directly to the reader, as opposed to um, trying to just write a, a an immersive type of story, which. Uh, yeah. Differentiate. We're not talking about where you have a character in the film who breaks the fourth wall. No. no. Wouldn't you write that into the story? What? The fourth wall? Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about it. I, the, the reason this came up is I signed a movie called The Babysitter uh, to the Tuesday class, to the intermediate class. And it's a kind of a jokey, it's a comedy horror film. So... Uh, it's fun. It's a Netflix original. Uh, the guy who wrote it also did one of the Insurgent movies or something like that. But his script reads like it's a like he's it's a it's a Shane Black method where you're talking directly to the um, uh, to the reader. So, for example, uh, this kind of stuff. Cole is 12 years old and losing his mind. He stands with his back against the wall, hands raised. So that's not too bad. But why say that when he says, I don't need it, I'm telling you, and the school nurse is not convinced? Then there's something like, Cole tries his best not to cry while he inspects the little Band-Aid on his arm. His best is not good enough. He's in that perfectly awkward stage between being a cute kid and a handsome teen. So I, I don't know how that, that informs uh, the movie. It, it informs the script, but those the only people who are going to see it are the people who are reading it. But wouldn't you say, having watched the movie, that it's very much in the style of what transpired in the film? Absolutely. But the problem becomes is I'm reading a lot of stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the script. And eventually, the weight of the script starts to become overwhelming because I'm reading stuff like, Cole is waiting for the school bus beside Melanie, another 12-year-old, also his neighbor. Also, definitely not a potential love interest for Cole, so whoever told you that is an idiot and a liar and a loser and a... And so it's very entertaining. Uh, Melanie's annoying dad shrugs back annoyingly uh the other bikers apparently know what he's saying cole's not quite sure so he doesn't say anything that's not getting out on the screen 
But again, maybe like for so Mick G directed this, he sees the speaks to him. And I do think that stuff some of that stuff does translate. Like it really informs how he sees the script on screen, the overall vision. I would say they go a little bit hand in hand. I don't think that's true for every self horror script, but but I do think for the babysitter that it was executed in the style and vision of the way that the screenwriter wrote. Well, again, my look, I've been taught, you know, I I learned years ago, but I've been taught if you can't see it on the screen, you shouldn't put it on the page simply because it, because, yes, if you're working with the director, maybe this is a draft where the director and the writer got together and they decided to do this in order to inform the script. But I don't think you can get away with this necessarily when you're trying to sell a script because it becomes you're entertaining the reader, which is great. And that's fine. And I agree that's a good marketing tool. I just don't think it in, in I think it takes you out of the script and makes you realize I'm reading a script. Yeah. Now, um when we talk about this, uh, Brian Duffield is the writer right. who wrote this. Right. Um, he has eight writing credits, but three of them are related to the insurgent mm-hmm. films, so, so they might just be behind the scenes stuff. Right. Uh, I'm a big fan of Shane Black. Shane Black was sort of the guy that got attention for Absolutely, the yes. But I believe that when he was doing it, it was because he knew there was a series of gatekeepers he was writing with a wink to them, to the, to the people that were doing the script. So I think this might be a, um, it might be a device specifically to do what you're saying, like to get through to the people who know they're reading a script and they have to read 12 scripts that day. Yeah. And this is just like when your mom put a note in your lunch that said, you know, study yeah. how, I don't know, come on, I never did You know, do well in school, try hard, something like that. It's like a little message to circumvent, uh, you know, the normal stoppages. So I'm not sure. I, I do think that uh, if it's done well, it can be okay. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think if you're if you're a new writer and this is something you want to incorporate into your work, you're going to do it too much and it's going to stick. And I think we've all read those. And I think I've written some of those. <laughs> where it's like, oh, I'm really clever. Like, I don't want to derail this, but when I was in the, uh, the Project Greenlight contest, the kids ask your parents. Uh, Project Greenlight thing, you, you had to review other people's scripts to, to move along. Right. It's kind of how it worked. And uh, I had written just one part where a guy is looking out into the darkness. He's like hopeless. Uh, if I had known anything, I would have known it was somewhere in my uh, plot point too. But this was like 15 minutes into the movie because I didn't know anything. Mm. Um, and I just wrote, my main character, his name was Edsel. Edsel is looking into the abyss. Period. Mm. Conversely, the abyss was looking into him. <laughs> there was, it wasn't a horror movie where there was an abyss that was looking into him, but of course, it's that pretty famous Nietzsche thing. I'm really smart. That's <laughs> NPR. And uh, so I put that in there. And the person that had to review my script, and it was all pretty anonymous, but you know, your job was to get your script further and hate everyone else's. They just tore into that line. That one line. For the entire yeah. uh, review. Right. And uh, with, with, with vitriol and passion, I'm like, wow, I would love to read their script. <laughs> but, uh, but they were right. Like, I put something in there that was cute and clever, and if the rest of my script was... I was just going to say, I think okay. the trick is, yeah, to establish it, like, as you're writing throughout, in terms of your style. And then sometimes, yeah, when it comes in, it's not as jarring. Like, you relax sort of the readers that are going along, and they're expecting that as they continue to read. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like any time... 
cleverness is conspicuous. That mm -hmm. like, not yeah. funny. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but how do you determine that? And the the thing is, is where do you stop? I mean, what, what next? Are we going to put pictures in here? Are we going to put links to uh, you know to websites so we can refer to Wikipedia? I mean, See, uh, all of those are really helpful because if someone gives you a script and it's got a picture on the cover, you know that's. <laughs> I'm talking about here's here's uh, you guys you guys in in uh, dead radio land can't see this but this is a page of the script. Oh. So yeah. yeah, so in whatever that is 70 or 100 point type he put on one on page uh 32 what the fuck. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film, something probably happens about uh, But also minutes. spoiler alert, that is in the film. They write what the fuck on the screen, yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, the thing is is that's and and he does that more than once and I don't think I'd object to this. I don't actually think yeah. this would stop me. But I think the propen or the overwhelming uh the, the 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 weight of it just becomes uh, tedious, you know, cuz I don't uh, here's when I, I you know, maybe it's just cuz I'm a dinosaur, but when I read a script I want to read a story that I'm immersed in. I don't want to read a writer. I don't want the writer talking to me. I want him to talk to me through his work. So, so that's why. Yeah, that's we open this discussion in class because I, I like more and more we are seeing scripts that are stylized that have sort of the voice and the writer in them and um, and are using it for impact and weight in the story. And um, and I think yeah, you have to pull back. It has to be done in the right type of manner. But I was saying, you know, I enjoy it. Like I, I like writing. I feel like I'm a stylish writer as well. Not, I don't think. You know, it's kind of with the weight of this writer, but um, but I like it. You know, I think it, it's that's the way that I like to write. I like to have sort of a voice myself. I know it's a little bit selfish, and like, and there's some ego in it. I think for sure, but um, but I like it. I like to you know have sort of the wings there here and there. Like, I think it points to how good of a writer you are. Also, if you can do it effectively. Yeah, I just think you can do both without getting completely self-aware self-referential and I, 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 I actually I, this is exciting mm -hmm. I completely agree with both of you but I also understand that I'm agreeing more with Mark now because of experience mm -hmm. because I'll admit when I did it when I wrote look how clever I am mm -hmm. it's because uh, it was an ego thing because I'm like A I want you to know how clever I am right. B you can't direct this as well as I can so I'm telling you how I would do it right. and I'm trying to slip that in because I knew that it was murder to put POV do this or, you know, be sure and use a 72 inch, 72 millimeter <laughs> lens because then we'll have a little bit of focus. No, you can't, you can't do that and you will, that's a flag. Right. If I'm writing some clever prose, uh, you know, you might go along with me. Now, when I read those scripts, it doesn't bother me, but Mark, you're absolutely right. I am aware of it. Mm -hmm. And I guess if it's done really well, I'm not aware of it. But I do also sometimes like reading a script where I feel someone's telling me the story. Yeah. So I, I can go uh, For me, it's just a matter of when a producer takes home 10 to 15 scripts a week. I, I think the I think tempting fate by making cutesy remarks just is not the best way to go. I'd rather be rejected on the basis of that's not a great script than on the basis of you tried to be too cute with something. So for me, it's just I'm a very conservative, as Mary Claire and you can tell, you both have been in my classes, I'm very conservative when it comes to this stuff. Um, so anyway, I know with that too, but I, for me, I'm always like, you want to be in my mind. I want to be different. I want to rise above in terms of you rise above, but writing. your writing does rise above. You won a contest last night for your writing. First place, Toby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you did vote because you heard mine. I was number two. She was. Oh, really? yes. She was. Oh, you yeah. were so cool about it. She was bad Santa. Because I, yeah. I gave her. You did give it. I was like, oh, ten. I'm like that one was the best one. <laughs> 
together again. <laughs> MC's doing doing the uh, doing the dance inside. Yeah, no, it was really. That was the third year I've been in that contest. Never was like poker with MC. No, I know. She's got a good poker oh, face. Uh, I think you were like looking over at Joe the whole time, like really throwing everybody. Out. I think that was. I don't think that was a poker face. I think that was a hangover evil. face. Also, evil <laughs> slash being all over. <laughs> I think she was just dead above the neck. Well, my soul is dead. Like it's, it's a little inside because it's just us, yeah, without being self-referential, without being self-aware. I mean, but it was there are just some wigs a good. In terms of the characters as well, like you know, I so I guess I mean just to talk a little bit about the script. So it was sort of like the five baddest guys of uh, of Christmas. You know, Scrooge, the Grinch, Hans Gruber. And, uh, and Bad Santa trying to figure out how to, you know, ruin this holiday, like, sort of once and for all. And there are a lot of winks to their characters and who they are and the yeah, but that's, that make them famous. That's in so. context of the script. Sure. That's perfect. Yeah, you, that, you, that was perfect. You did a great job with that script. That was funny and, and well done. So, Winner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is really not the forum for it, but I'll just love this and like a good idea. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It is not. We'll talk. We will talk about that in a minute. All right. Uh, what are we watching? Uh, let me start out by saying I am such a freaking idiot. I don't know how I didn't watch Parks and Recreation. Is this I, a winning recommendation. Uh, oh, yeah, Mary Claire. I'm <laughs> I'm never doubting her again. It is so freaking funny and good. It's just. It is perfect. It's so perfect. It is perfect. It is a show that has so much heart in it as well. Like, those those are characters, like, you would follow. Like, it's just so believable in terms of who they are and what they mean to each other, like, in that particular world. Like, there are just, so like, so many perfect episodes. There are a few perfect seasons as well. Well, I would agree um, with that. So it's... Uh, that's really a favorite. Like, a lot of times uh, we'll have conversations. This will be, like, a family discussion or a friend discussion. It's, like, The Office or Parks and Rec. And, um, and well, it's sort of, like, say for, like, a Seinfeld. Like, who's your favorite Seinfeld character? We go into long discussions about that over Christmas, too. That always end terribly. Um, but but very much so. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm on the side of Parks and Rec now. And so it's uh, – but because I think, yeah, it's – well. What a brilliant – whoever created the character – well, I know who did it. It's the guy who did uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Uh, He's such a funny writer. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean – Also the guys behind – uh, uh, that's Mike Shore. Yeah. But I also think it was the guys behind uh, King of the Hill. That might have been because there's yeah. two credits at yeah. the end. But uh, what's so brilliant about this is you have, you have a character who is a libertarian, who hates government, who wants to – cut every program that he's involved in and he doesn't want to do any work and then you have this wonderful character who is just like Mary Sunshine and you know oh my god this is so you know Pawnee and Pawnee is a great mm-hmm. uh, a great uh, place to live and I, I firmly believe that this, the, the series that uh, succeed have a strong world uh, like uh, the Tina Fey one, um, 30, 30 Rock, and you want to live in that world. I would love to live in Pawnee. Yeah. yeah go get some waffles. Like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather live in the town next to Pawnee. Eagleton? Eagleton. Eagleton. Oh. No, I, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm That's not. my favorite. There are any, any Eagleton episode, those are good episodes for sure. One of the things I like is about the show, because it, it is great. In, in a weird way, it's great that it's over also, because it can't trail off into right. the mediocrity. Uh, but the, the Ron Swanson character, oh, he's a great guy, lives on. Slash anarchist, uh, they, they will have like one episode where he's completely ridiculous, and they'll have another episode where his beliefs are entirely supported right. by what happened. 
And uh, my roommate who doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can totally get away with it. Um, like halfway through the run of the show, someone said to him, "You're like Ron Swanson because he's 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 a little he's a laconic, he's opinionated, mm. uh, powerful facial hair situation." And uh, and like so, we watched clips because I'd seen the show, but he didn't watch the show. He starts watching the show, and I can tell he liked. Not only he liked Ron Swanson, he being compared to Ron, to Ron Swanson. That, and he kind of leaned into it a little bit, and he became a little more Ron Swanson-y. But what I really like about that character is uh, the actor that played him, whose name I just... Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Uh, is not. Like that? He does believe in a certain amount of self-reliance, but certainly not to that extent. Oh, no. Yeah, that's an extreme. So when Ron Swanson is used as, as a beacon of uh, libertarianism <laughs> and that kind of thing... And they're like, you know, invoking what, what would Ron Swanson do? And, and as recently happened with the uh, the uh, the net neutrality vote, oh. uh, what's his name? Yeah, so idiot. Idiot. Uh, will will be. Uh, he's like he considers himself like a big big Parks and Rec fan, a big Ron Swanson fan. And so he compromise says, "You know that guy's an idiot." Like, <laughs> I played an idiot. Yeah. Like, kids to be him. Right. Uh, but yet you're right. It's great because then you know that there really is some creativity behind it instead of just putting oh, yeah. those people together. Well, Nick Offerman, I think, is he's fantastic. But his role is so well written. But it, it's just it's the dichotomy, you know, the the between him and uh, nope. yeah, Leslie. Nope. That, I mean, and then of course they added at some point they added um, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. That's and, what I think the series like really hits its stride. It's the third season with yeah with production of Rob Lowe and uh, yeah that I forget the other I know. But and I feel bad because he's in everything. Yeah, <laughs> and I never can remember his name. Well, plus uh, plus I uh, love plays those characters too. Yeah, Adam pl- Scott. There we go, Adam so, Scott. Yeah, plus I love uh, what's her name the um, uh, the the. The really sarcastic uh, girl, oh, Aubrey Plaza. Oh That's my so God, she's great. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's what I'm watching. So what are you guys watching? Anything? Uh, well, you saw Star I've Wars. Seen, I've seen a ton of stuff just through walking design. Uh, I can tell you that uh, if you haven't seen The Big Sick, it's a fantastic. I movie. just watched it. If you get the chance to watch it on an airplane while someone's reclining their chair <laughs> in your chair, don't. <laughs> but any other place is a great place. To okay. See. Uh, it's a really nicely done indie film. It covers a lot of what you expect, but it doesn't do it the way you would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of indie films, and I know that they're yeah. oh, you got to do this, you got to do this. It does them, but it doesn't do them knowingly. Right. It doesn't do them traditionally. It's, it's, it's a really nicely told story that feels very, very real. I enjoy that. So tell us, give, us a, give us a kind of a thumbnail... Uh, review of Star Wars. Okay, thumbnail. Okay, now we're a weekend. I will keep out the spoilers. No spoilers. Um, actually, can I tell you about like my favorite thing, which really has no spoilers? Sure. Is um, that the porgs? We know that. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> here's one. Here's one of the things I really liked, and I I hope it was really there, and it wasn't just my fanboy uh, thing seeing it. Uh, it's not a twist that Luke Skywalker's in this movie, right? Because he was at the end of the right. Movie, so yeah, he's in, he's on the poster too. His character is Luke Skywalker in this film. Is uh, let's say a guy pushing fifty. He's older, obviously, but he's a guy pushing fifty that's been raised on Star Wars movies. That's what his character is. Oh, really? The whole character is, in a very meta sense, sort of like, hey, you know how we've been watching these movies our whole life? You know how we've done that? You know, like Jedi has gone from being a thing that well. From Star Wars, the first film, but the Jedi as a thing, 1977. Now it's a religion. Yeah. Yeah, it's like not just like nerdy folks at Comic Con religion. I mean, like people are putting it on their taxes. And he's sort of, 
he sort of, as his character, as a guy who's like been raised within it, and, and, and you know, really, there, there is like a rejection of it, or really? at least an analysis of like. It's it's sort of like I guess you can see kind of where that's going, where they're going with that, you know, or why they're going there with that. But I thought it was really fascinating because, in a weird way, this film is going to sort of like go, yeah, we're part of a we're part of a trilogy, Mm -hmm. which is part of a saga, but we're also like breaking it off, and we're saying, but this will be not just not just more of the same. I'd be really disappointed if anybody sees this and thinks it's more of the same. Mm. Now, a lot of That's people wanted to convert it to Empire because they wanted it to be the second part of the trilogy. Right. Which is actually the best and they, right, and they say the second uh, one, it's right? It's its own thing. Mm. Uh, I'm excited. And there's a lot to it. That, like, and I, and I, I, I did say before we started recording, I really liked it. I think it's very good. In a couple of days, I might think it's really good. Uh, Mary Claire, you've been watching anything? Uh, or? Yeah, I've been watching a good amount of Christmas movies, but um, but I also did start The Crown, the season two of The mm. Crown. Um, I like the first season a lot. It's um, it's and it's been a good start to sort of the second season. It's kind of like the bigger questions they're trying to answer. Is it like you know does love win or duty? Like how you know what, are they impossible to separate from the two? That type of thing. Um, and there's a lot of romance in this one but a lot of like bigger cultural moments that are fun to see being played out uh in history and so uh it's been it's been good i like that they did it over december um it feels christmasy it feels exciting in terms of the history especially with Meghan markle and prince harry just getting oh yeah years, right very timely um to get some insight into the monarchy but um but i like i mean i think that shows very well written also like i think it's hard to do some of the i mean you're writing a script about History and, and some yeah, of historically, yeah, um, moments there, and trying to understand what really went on, especially in the monarchy, which is so notoriously like tight-lipped about any type of scandal. And so it's been, it's it's like fun to sort of dive in uh, and see sort of the behind the scenes from their thoughts or perspective or their writing. But can we throw out uh, the the number for the podcast as to where people can contact us uh, and and send in information? Off the top of my head, I can remember. Anyone at home would like to call us and leave a question on the voicemail, maybe play on the air. They should give us a call at 919 Scripts. Look at your phone and find out what the numbers are because I don't remember those. But 919 Scripts, I'm sure there's a five in there somewhere. Um, Give us a call, give a voicemail message, we'll answer it on the air. Okay. Or you can go to plotpoints.com and there's a contact form there too. So Billy Wilder, you know, I, I was shocked. I didn't know how many movies or how many writing credits this guy had. He's uh, He was from Austria, and he was part of uh, what they consider Hollywood's golden age, which is right after the silent era ended, about to the middle 60s. Um, <clears throat> he basically wrote every hilarious movie you've ever seen that took place before 1960. Um, he's... His apartment, a bunch of his stuff, apartment, Sunset Boulevard and stuff, are in the AFI's top 100, um, which has changes a little bit. Uh, I, the last version I had was 2007. So um, he's got 81 write credits as a writer, 27 as a director. Um, one of the really interesting things is every movie he's directed, he's also written. So, it, and that came out of the desire to have people not screw up his, yeah, his, control. yeah total control. Um, he uh, he was recognized with a Lifetime Achievement Award and the Irving Thalberg Award, um, which is a recognition for achievement. Um, he died in 2002. So um, what I like about him is uh, he felt as a director that it was writing first. So, 
and and 81 credits as a writer obviously he he has some credibility at that um and he wasn't really a hitchcockian type of director he didn't believe in that that kind of orson wells uh you know shadows and angles and stuff um and so they're they're very tight i think i think he's like you know, if, if if he was alive today, he might be Aaron Sorkin, you know, because Aaron Sorkin has a really great uh, way with dialogue and stuff. Um, did you guys ever see Ball of Fire with uh, Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck, I think it is? I'm not familiar with that. It's a great, great concept. Um, yeah, it's Barbara Stanwyck. It's a, a woman who's... <clears throat> Well, today she'd be a stripper, but back then she was just a dancer. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, so anyway, it, she ends up hiding in, a, in with a house full of geeks, like uh, professors. And so she changed it. Talk about it and superego. He had a really great. Um, that's one of the things I love about his work. Like if you look at the seven-year ear itch, Marilyn Monroe is all id and the, I think it's Tom Yule character is all super ego. So he had a natural sense of creating those kinds of uh, great conflicts and stuff. Um, Double Indemnity, obviously, is a great uh, movie with uh, Barbara Stanwyck and uh, Fred McMurray. Double Indemnity is credited as being possibly the first film or film. Oh, okay. Debatable among people that have not Right. But it definitely defined terms terminology and uh, the, the, the facets of a film noir. Right. And it, it's a fantastic film, and Fred McMurray, up to that point, and even afterwards, always plays kind of a lightweight, a deafer, a fella. Well, he was a nice guy, yeah. yeah. A guy in a cardigan sweater with a pipe, you know, and that, right. that film, you're like, oh no, that guy, that guy's... He's evil, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, 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 that by itself is a, is a great film. I agree. That, that would be a pretty remarkable body for well, he, I mean, what I like, uh, one of the things that's mentioned is that he works against type for a lot of characters. Like, for instance, for Stalag 17, uh, William Holden didn't like the idea that he was so unlikable and wanted Billy Wilder to change it. He said, no, you're going to do this because Holden was considered a pretty one of those characters. Same with McMurray, Sabrina, um, Bogart, Bogart yeah. yeah. Bogart played, right, he played a very charming, lovely man. So so he um, he directed, uh, well, and James Cagney, too, I guess, in one, two, three. But he in, in total, he directed 14 different actors in Oscar-nominated performances, like Stanwyck, Ray Milland, William Holden, Gloria Swanson, etc. That's that's quite a bit, you know. I'm pretty sure he's uh, the only person with that kind of record. I don't think there's any other directors You're, that have got that. You're probably right. Maybe even half of that, just... Literally because of his body of work. Right. He didn't have a career. Right, right. He was the first one to pair Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau together uh, in The Fortune Cookie. And um, they did three three other films, I think, but Lemmon was in seven of his films. So he really liked Lemmon. He considered Lemmon kind of a mentee. And, of course, they did The Odd Couple, um, which was, you know, that's Neil Simon. But still, it was th that pairing. Um, he wrote, co-wrote the screenplay for Double Indemnity with Raymond Chandler, with the novelist Raymond Chandler, which I didn't know. Well, they made some of the from the book. Right. And Chandler's participation made that possible. The book itself is, uh, it's funny because it's one of those Hays Code things. Mm. Uh, the book itself, uh, there's, there's like, there's, there's more than one love triangle. Mm. And there's a lot of adultery. Not, um, not period, but there's a lot of adultery. Right. Ace Code completely did not tolerate that, which is actually one of the things that makes film noir was finding visual 
look to see right the sexuality right right that's like okay, so how, how film noir was defined as a genre was out of necessity right and uh, and Chandler participated in that because he recognized the the, the, the strengths of, of one medium and the weaknesses of mm. another and, and on translate yeah okay that's a that's a great point that's something I didn't I didn't even find um so from the 50s on, Wilder made mostly comedies, like The Seven-Year Itch, which is great. That's the famous scene with Marilyn with the skirt rising up and uh, Some Like It Hot, which I think is still just one of the more brilliant films. And The Apartment, which is a satire, uh, kind of a dark, very dark satire. Um, he opposed the House Un-American Activities Committee. Uh, what's his name? Let me think here. Oh, John Houston had a quote. Uh, the Screen Directors Guild had a vote by show of hands of people who supported it. And Houston said, I'm sure it was one of the bravest things that Billy, as a naturalized German, has ever done. There were 150 to 200 directors at this meeting. And here Billy and I sat alone in protest against the loyalty oath, which is quite striking. Um, he's received a total of 21 Academy Award nominations, eight for Best Director, 12 for Writing, and one is the producer of Best Picture. And with Together with Martin Scorsese, he's the second most nominated director in the history of the Academy Awards at, behind William Wyler and uh, second most nominated screenwriter behind Woody, Woody Allen. Yeah. And so he's won a total of six Oscars. I mean, if you look at I just listened just to listen to his films, uh, Ninchatka, Hold Back the Dawn, Ball of Fire, Double Indemnity, The Lost Weekend, The Foreign Affair, Sunset Boulevard, Ace in the Hole, Stalag 17, Sabrina, which has been remade, what, three times or something like that? Witness for the Prosecution, Some Like It Hot, uh, The Apartment, The Fortune Cookie, uh, then the Thalberg Award, just incredible. Um, what I, What's most striking about Wilder is something I preach in classes, his, his, uh, his um, adherence to theme. You know, he knows what he wants to say about a film. I mean, how many times have you gone to a film and you come out feeling kind of empty? You don't get that from a Wilder film. Very strong, striking. Largely, I think uh, he was not. Uh, he, he wasn't. He was not fixated on technique. Right. Visual you mean you mean, right? Oh, okay. There, I mean, certainly because of the time when he was working, he wasn't making special effects movies, but he wouldn't be making special effects movies now. His things were always about human interaction. Drama, drama yeah, right. Story, that kind of thing. So, so that, uh, that focus on that and working with the actors and everything was, was just a hallmark of his work, which is why, like you say, he wasn't Hitchcockian. He wasn't trying to do like, a, I'm going to put you in this side of the screen, I'm going to put her over here, right. I'm going to make her look smaller than you. He, he wasn't, we were talking about a little bit earlier, he wasn't trying to be clever. He was just telling a story. Very like, honest about this story. Like, this story is completely true. It's about uh, two out-of-work musicians that accidentally see a murder and decide to dress up like women. <laughs> right. That's actually one of the things I think is sort of hilarious but unfortunate is uh, his his potency as a filmmaker, probably the wrong word, uh, really ended like in the early mid-60s. Yes. Uh, Fortune Cookie, I think, was like 66. He, was kind of downhill yeah, he didn't do much in the 70s but, at all. So like a lot of filmmakers today are inspired by the people who were inspired by the people that were inspired by them. Oh, okay. And so removed from that. And these are not films that people will go back and watch because most of them are black and white. That's true. The Apartment is an amazing film to watch, but I remember the first time I saw it, I was super confused because someone told me it was a comedy, and it's not. No, it's a satire. It's a satire. It's very dark. There are some funny bits. It's mostly... The Apartment is like... An, uh, it's like a movie version of something like The Office. Right. It's about uncomfortable. It's about... 
being in a crowded city and being all by yourself and you're like and the laughs just keep on coming right <laughs> One quiet desperation too. The idea that which are all things that have been revisited uh, uh, last weekend. Everyone had to tell about alcoholism. If you haven't seen it, you've seen not just on The Simpsons. You've seen references to it because the way that that whole thing is portrayed was 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 the definitive iconic. This is what alcoholism is. Mm-hmm. You know, like every crappy after school special. This way. We'll just do that because no one cursed and there was no nudity. We can just do that. And that's what well, what's striking about what you're saying is that a lot of I know a lot of people when I sign a film, especially an old film like that, which I don't do too often, uh, you hear a lot of people go, well, that's kind of it was kind of like um, a peop- they think it's they don't realize it's groundbreaking. They don't realize, you know, what its history, where it should be in film. They feel like it's, uh, they've seen it before. You know, this is like, what's this about? It's about, you know, 12 Angry Men is just about a trial. Well, we've seen that. I mean, you gotta, you, you really have to be a little bit more in tune with, with, you have to appreciate it in context. And that's hard to do, especially after how many, how many movies have been, movies and television and books and stuff have been done since uh, Wilder's day. So. Exactly what you're saying is it goes back to it like I've already seen this before yes but the guy that made or the person that made what you saw before that episode of Walker Texas right. Ranger where this happened guess where they got it from? right right go to the source right this is a bias copy from again. the original right not the copy of don't attenuate the the genius right so he also wrote I which I didn't know he wrote a movie called The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes which I got to watch it because it. Yeah, what I liked about it, what they said about it is it's uh, it says it's a fascinating glimpse into the man behind the legend. Wilder's film wasn't afraid to explore the detective's addiction to cocaine or his estrangement from women, which is what you see now in kind of reflected in the Netflix uh, Sherlock Holmes, the Benedict Cumberbatch, um, and also in the one the TV series. But well, anyway, uh, so doing Billy Wilder was really a joy. I I mean, it's a shame that he doesn't get. The recognition today, uh, you know, it's we're talking about, what, six, 40, 50 years ago at his last. So anyway, cinematic genius, I think. So this week, instead of giving a uh, this week in film history, uh, Mary Claire decided to do her top 10 Christmas movies. Yeah, in the spirit of holidays. Uh, yeah, to go through. And I will say it's my personal top ten. My personal top ten of what I think. Uh, Wait, um, it is or it isn't. It is. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no, it is. So, totally, I'm gonna say it again. It's mine. Totally subjective. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really interested to hear people's reactions to this, but. Um, but I didn't include, so not on this list, movies that are, like, up for debate in terms of being Christmas films. So, like, looking at Die Hard or Home Alone, like, great films, not on this list. Um, also, I've never seen White Christmas, so that's oh, not on the list either. <laughs> I get the sense it's overrated. Uh, anyway, so um, so these are all about... Irving Berlin is overrated? How dare you? Okay, so starting with number 10. So, um, Love Actually is my number 10 film. Um I do think it is sort of sticky sweet in some sense. You know, there's a lot of heartstring pulling, but you like it around kind of like this time period, I feel like. There's a lot of great actors in it, some silly like verbal gags, like woody banter, a lot of touch of, you know, class and melancholy as you're sort of, I don't know, watching other films too, so I don't know what it is they will. Okay, number nine. <laughs> this is a little high on the list, but uh, 
Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, yeah. Number nine. Absolutely. Um, that's Nothing. one of my mother's favorite. She liked the story of Chris Kringle on trial. That's a great courtroom drama as yeah. well. Um, it's 12 Angry Men. Exactly, yeah. Um, but, and that's another one that's kind of like, this is totally believable what's happening here, but you sort of suspend that belief because it is so sweet. And he is really Santa. <laughs> So. Wait, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number eight, Bad Santa. Oh, uh, I love yeah. Bad Santa. Yeah, that's a really good script. Uh, who were they? The crazy, stupid love guys did that. Um, but also, I didn't realize this uncredited Coen Brothers helped a little bit. Really? As wow. well, yeah. Wow. Some of the, I think, like, some punch-up yeah. stuff. But um, that, that, that film was brilliant. Yeah, really, like, great concept for mm-hmm. that film. Great concept. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton's great. Down on his luck. Santa. Um, but again, I think there's a lot of like, there's again, sort of the warm heart comes through strong values about how, you know, truly bad people in the world aren't the only ones who just swear and get drunk and do all of that. So, um, it's like the Grinch, but did you see the sequel? I did not. It's, it's funny. It's not probably as, uh, wonderful as the first one, but it's got, it's, it's the same. And Kathy Bates is in, it plays his mother. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, my God. And she's great. So yeah, yeah, she's re- she's hilarious. Just by learning that, I go, that really explains a lot. Yeah, right. Why did he curse himself? Oh, and she's tatted up, and she's a cigar, a cigarette-smoking boozer, and oh, she's just great, so. Number seven, you guys might fight me a little bit on this one, I feel like, but The uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas. I, won't, I wouldn't fight you okay, on that. Yeah, because sometimes people are like, that's a Halloween film, and I, I always feel like the people who debate that, like, are missing it. You know, you're missing it. You're overlooking sort of the celebration message of like why it's both and I think it is really I love that film like it's really like it still is like very dazzling to me I I, I watch it over Halloween I watch it over Christmas um, and I really think it's sort of timeless in terms of the message and the creativity behind it so I appreciate that film more than I like it I remember seeing it in the theater it's not very long it's like no no it's not oh wow less than an hour into it being like um, I'm like over this. I get it because unfortunately, <laughs> you're driving it like, a lot because it does kind of it, it sort of peaks. Like, but later, people like yourself that really love that film, uh, understanding how much they enjoy it, I do appreciate it more. Like it definitely connected with other people more than it connected. With it was one of my ex-girlfriend's favorite films. Oh, that's on my. That's probably on my favorite film list I, I as well. I gifted the beautiful glass ornaments more than once to people who really <laughs> enjoy that film because <laughs> I have a heart. Well, there's mine. All right, Christmas gift for me. Um, number six. Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh yeah, <laughs> thumbs up. Yeah, I love that. Anything film. Muppets. Yeah. I agree. The Those Muppets are brilliant are films. Elevated. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Of, I think it's the best out of the Christmas Carol adaptations for sure. Um, especially there's been so many of them, kind of him like grumping around, and I really think like sort of using the Muppets, the felt ensemble is like it's really immortal. It's the most Christmas to me. I love watching that. I watched that the night before uh, Christmas. I watched it on Christmas Eve every year. Um, and I really think it is, um, like, warm. I think it's funny, too. Like, and that's what's missing from a lot of yeah. the Christmas Carol adaptations. It's kind of like, you know, they're, like, you're, they're really driving home, like, sort of the theme overall. But I really think using the Muppets is witty, wonderful, like, and it's really, it's really funny. I mm-hmm. laugh every single time. So yeah. it's, uh, that's definitely a top holiday film for me. Okay, number five, top five, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. That's my number five. Um... It's not my like it's in there because I feel like oh it has to be in here a little bit you know I think it's uh, lighthearted but also it, it's another like good concept about how things are kind of like we're investing too much in Christmas and things are starting to unravel you can see kind of the the commercial side of Christmas and like the damage that it does there but um, but I think a solid all around movie that's right and we all learned that everybody has a cousin Eddie <laughs> totally absolutely everybody's got one. <laughs> 
four. Number four, Elf. Oh, yeah. I love Elf. I love Elf, too. I saw that. I remember seeing that in theaters and just laughing, like, the entire time. Like, And that's another film that's great concept. Like, great concept. Um, an adult man grew up thinking that he's an elf. <laughs> Traveling to New York City to find his biological father, um, who's James Conn. Like, right. it's sort of like, I don't know, you're tapping into sort of the childlike mischief of like, yeah, this is this is what Christmas is about, like sort of the wonder of it. And even if you're, oh, he was such a great character. From yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Like you can, you still want to appreciate it so much from his point. Of view. Well, and then uh, what's his name's in it? The father, the uh, James Conn. No, the uh, one in the North Pole. Oh, oh that's Bob that Newhart. Bob Newhart. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and I love wow. when he's sitting on Bob <laughs> Newhart's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I think it's just it's really funny and I do think it still is really funny like I, I every now and then I like it, it's a longer one but I'll sit in for it for the most part um, but it, and I do think it still hits um, yeah. I don't think it's really powerful at the end when they're all kind of like singing together it's like it's very joyous and great I agree so, okay number three the Santa Claus <laughs> oh it, no uh, yes no yes oh I saw God. it I it's a great concept Claus. first it's a great concept but I didn't I didn't love the execution done it with actors yeah. oh, <laughs> I think that is that's on that's on call for yeah. <laughs> I think Tim Allen we're cutting we're cutting that out we're cutting it out anyway he's a very no Tim Allen's actually he's, I've seen him in many things I just thought you needed someone that could play <laughs> okay I'm really going to give this too much that film needed more vulnerability uh, from your Santa, mm. and I will stand by that. Okay, maybe that's that's fair, but I do think I think Tim Allen is very underrated as an actor, and he really finds his rhythm. Like this is the perfect like vehicle for him in his comedic stylings, and I think this film is still really funny. Um, and I think. There's a lot of cheer. I mean, even like, are you not at the end when Judge Reinhold gets his weenie whistle? You're not like, <laughs> <laughs> like smiling. <laughs> just in. That's not what you think. Um, I love that. I'll stand behind that film. I really think that that's a really good well. It's a good film, film but I it doesn't belong at number three. My well, lord. Number three. You know, don't forget with, with the patina of time, uh, the Santa Claus could be the miracle on Thirty Fourth. I I doubt it. Uh, Let's just let's just keep it open mind. All right. I, so far, I've been right down the line with you, but the, I like the Santa Claus. I just don't think it belongs at number three. I love it. Okay. Um, number two, it's a wonderful life. Oh my God! What a wonderful film. Number two. Yep. Um, yeah, and I think this is a movie we turn to every holiday season. I mean, it's it's really sweet. I mean, it is. You know, they're asking a lot of you, I think, you know, like in terms of watching the film to go that place, you know, but I do think it's a classic and it deserves, yeah, its place. Okay, so Toby, let's guess her number one. What do you think? Well, you already said that you're like, there's certain movies you're not counting, so it's a bit of a topic. Uh, Here's some, here, I'll give you a list of some of the, some of the, so White Christmas, uh, which you didn't see, Elf, Scrooge, It's a Wonderful Life, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Bad Santa, Miracle on 34th Street, A Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, how, the, how the Grinch Stole Christmas, The Bishop's Wife, which I think is wonderful, A Christmas... Yeah, I prefer the Preacher's uh, Wife. Just for the point of order, the original or the... No, I prefer e- the Preacher's Wife. Sorry. Either, either one. I like either one. Uh, I love I love uh, Whitney Houston, so yeah, when I like she... Denzel. Yeah, and Yeah, but the first, the first one was Cary Grant and... Uh, uh, Lana, Lana Turner is it Lana Turner? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, a Christmas Carol. Then uh, any version like I, I like the 1938 version. Uh, the Miracle at Morgan's Creek, which is kind of one of my favorites. It's it's uh, or I think it's going to be a Christmas story. What do you okay, think? I, I I mean, if only only for the point of argument. So like, yeah, Christmas story probably going to be it. 
Mark's right. It's a Christmas story. You had to, had to be. Classic. Um, I, I mean, I really, it's, it's a wonderful setup for like little family dramas that break out during the season from the perspective of a, of a kid, which I really appreciate as well. Like there are very few kid centric comedies. I think that understand like the terror of being a kid. And, and I think there are so many like goofy laughs and heartfelt moments and, and it's just a classic, like, um, and that is, like, I look forward to the 24 hours. Like, I feel like I'm, I don't know, I feel, everybody's on kind of one side, I feel like, for the Christmas story. Like, they either, like, really hate it or they really, really love it. And I'm on the side of I really, really love it. And so I hope they continue that trend. Well, I don't know any other Christmas movie that plays for a solid, how, how yeah, I don't think so, yeah, 24 hours. hours. They used to do that with It's a Wonderful Life, but I think mm. ABC secured it so that you <laughs> they do. So they of course. Yeah, now, now, well, I mean, which is kind of a good thing because you can just wear it out like wallpaper, but... Well, some of the things that are fantastic about the Christmas Story, apart from that it's just a really great, fun movie of a bygone time, is uh, I, I'm always really fascinated with American film culture as kind of like how we export ourselves to the world. More of my, more of my Jewish friends, and they're <laughs> Jewish Americans, but they're Jewish friends, know more about Christmas because of a Christmas story than anything else. Because really? Because so many things that are Christmas-oriented are not that accessible mm-hmm. without the patina of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. The Christmas story works, mm-hmm. and so they've watched it. Yeah, yeah it's a great movie. Good, so yeah. Yeah. Although that's a great list, except for the Santa Claus, which I think is... Yeah, I, I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to a Q&A. Uh, do we have some questions from, the, uh, from our listening audience from Dead Radio? Go, first or go, first? go ahead. All right, I have a question here. Mark? Let let me put this in the phrase of a question so I can do it all uh, Jeopardy style. Mark, will you continue to write in the genre that you sold in? I think that's a preposition. In which you you sold. Will you continue to write in the genre in which you have sold films? Or do you see yourself into other genres. Well, I am in other genres. I'm doing a, a Revolutionary War drama. And you could consider it a genre film because there's a lot of battles and stuff, but it's also a historical drama. And I've written um, other historical dramas, like I wrote the um, Bugsy, uh, not Bugsy Siegel, um, uh, Mickey Cohen. I, made, I wrote that. So I try to, I mean, it kind of stays close to my wheelhouse, which is action-y kind of stuff, but uh, comedy is about the only thing I don't think I have a lot of credibility with. I think I have a good sense of humor, but I don't have enough confidence uh, in my writing abilities comedically to put it on paper. Um, Having said that, I mean, I'm up to the challenge of writing anything at any point, So, uh, but I don't get the chance to do that. I'm not known for that. Uh, I'm happily selling, you know, I'm happy to sell another creature feature to Sci-Fi Channel, or but why limit Why limit it? So, yeah. no, But you said you, when you were talking about what would be your credibility, you sort of implied that you couldn't get into a certain thing. I, is, is, that, is that an issue when trying to sort of break John John? For me, well, I, the only thing I don't think I have a lot of credibility with is comedy. Um, although I'd love to try a romantic comedy one of these days, but I don't think I'd, I'd, I don't think I'd try. I don't, you know, to me, it's like learning, um, there's, I'm kind of stumbling on this. You, people who write good comedy study comedy and do a lot of work with that particular genre. I don't. And so anything I write would probably be at a much lower level than where I'm at now with my writing because I've studied other genres and I've done written other genres, but comedy's just not. Comedy's the hardest thing to write. It is. Like, uh, by far. Well, would you, do you think you've encountered any issues, like if you've written, let's say you've written a rom-com, uh, 
are, are people going to have a problem taking that from you? Yes, I think so. But uh, people have trouble taking anything right now from me. So it's not, no, I uh, no, I do agree. I do think that there's a, a I, I think what probably would happen is if I could give somebody a rom-com and if I convinced them within the first couple of pages that it was viable, I think they'd read it. But. Just giving I don't get called into meetings for that kind of stuff. I don't get uh, leads for that kind of stuff. People don't know me for that. So uh, if I wrote it, it would be a struggle uh, to get it out there. So, Do you feel screenwriters deserve more say in the filmmaking process today or are you okay with how writers are you know generally being treated? Well, I, so I've been in a bunch of story meetings. And so writers are given a lot of credibility in a story meeting. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're consulted, we're, we're, they ask us, we talk and stuff. The thing that happens, unfortunately, and, and Toby can probably verify this, well, you can too, MC, you get to a set and suddenly an actor comes up with a different line or, you know, something happens or, you know, my girlfriend came up with this, blah, 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 blah. So that's that's where things go south and that's where i think i would like writers to have a little bit more control but the fact of the story meetings and being able to do all that stuff i think i think we got enough uh, and it's a collaborative thing i don't want to do the editor's job i don't want to do the director's job i don't want to do the actor's job i want to do the writer's job All right, I did an act three this week, so I'm going to go through that. Um, but before we go too much further, let's throw out the phone number again and the uh, location of the website. Well, we'll switch places, and I'll say that the website is plotpoints.com. And the phone number is? You can reach us at 919-SCRIPTS. Scripts. Questions, comments, call us. Thank you. Um, so uh, anyway, I'll just I'll just go through this. It's striking to me what a solitary occupation writing is. With most everything else I do, web design, tech work, teaching, you name it, I can have music playing or some form of distraction. I can have people around, noises happening, the TV on, not with writing. I think for me it has to do with the film that I'm unrolling inside my head. I'm in a world that isn't real, but it feels real. It's almost like a dream. That's why I don't outline much. I'm happy to open doors with my characters. Says, uh, you know what? I'm not going to read this. I think we're going to pass on this. I, I don't. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. It's striking to me what a solitary occupation writing is. With most everything else I do, web design, tech work, teaching, you name it, I can have music playing or some form of distraction. I can have people around, noises happening, the TV on. Not with writing. I think for me, it has to do with the film that I'm unrolling inside my head. I'm in a world that isn't real, but it feels real. It's almost like a dream. That's why I don't like to outline much. I'm happy to open those doors with my characters as they do, to see for the first time what they see. Yeah, that leads to a lot of missteps and rewriting, but it also leads to dynamic, surprising narrative and dialogue. But perhaps it's deeper than that. I come from a big Italian family. My entire childhood was spent surrounded by happy, loving, and at times irritating people. My house was the house where everyone went to play. In today's world, that's my sister's houses, at least two of them. My dad was a grocer, and he used to grumble that he had to bring home at least two gallons of milk a day because we entertained the entire neighborhood, and kids got to have milk to wash down those peanut butter sandwiches. But even with growing up in the crucible of social interaction, where sisters, brothers, cousins, and friends were everywhere at once, I am by nature a solitary man. I could easily go on a mission to Mars by myself, happily playing with the computer and whatever robot they gave me, touching bases with friends and family via a comm link, or not. 
I remember my dad once shaking his head and saying to me, why don't you move around a little bit? His not-so-subtle way of saying, get off your fat ass and do something besides sit in front of a book. Thank God I didn't have a computer when I was a kid, or I'd certainly have weighed 400 pounds by sixth grade. So writing, being by nature a solitary preoccupation, fits my wheelhouse just fine. I like being alone, and I like being with people. I'm not stunted in any way. It's just that I'm okay with sitting at a chair for hours and tap-tapping a story out. I can't tell you how many times I've looked up at the clock and realized I haven't moved anything but my fingers for the last four hours. And truth be told, the older I get, the more it hurts when I do move. The other reason I think writing suits my sometimes solitary nature is that I'm not really alone. Maybe you all feel the same way. I am inside an adventure, like when you get a hold of a great book and just disappear. I learned early on how to do that with my writing. I open the page, start to write, and for the next few hours, I am exclusively in whatever land or universe or situation I've created. I feel the dirt, the blood, the wind. I fall, I run, I fly at times. I'm fully immersed and interactive in the writing. It's like a lucid dream, I guess, one that I have total control over. And I I truly love it. I'm sure my dad is looking down from heaven and saying, now why doesn't that boy move around more? Dad, I am. I just jumped off a bridge into a raging river or made love to a wonderful woman or fought a tremendously difficult opponent and won. So even if you can't see it, I got to say I'm exhausted. It's been a long, hard day in dreamland. Be inspired. Do good work. All right, Uh, so we are done uh, for this uh, segment of Plot Points Podcast. We're uh, we're probably going to have one more before the end of the year. Um, We have to decide because it's the next time we record is um, October thirty or December thirty first. But I just wanted to say to my co-hosts, it's been wonderful up. To this point, 2017 was great. I'm so happy and thankful to Mary Claire for pushing me down this road. And I'm so happy that I talked to Toby uh, and said, hey, do you know anything about podcasting? And he said, you know, I just have no. Uh, without, without Toby and without MC, 
this just wouldn't be the same. So I'm I'm glad you guys are here. I've had a, a, a wonderful time, and we'll do probably one more, but it'll be it won't be it won't drop until January. So I guess this is kind of our end of the 2017 podcast. Um, anyway, uh, so I, I I do appreciate it. I am happy to be here with you guys. Uh, thank you for to both of you for uh, being so understanding and and so wonderful. And you know the funny thing about doing a podcast is you got to you got to hope you're going to get people that both appreciate what you are, who you are and can also uh, inform you beyond who you are and I think both of you guys do that really well. So Right back at you. Buddy. Thank you. <laughs>